Well, you say you can't purchase happiness. If you've got more money than God, you can purchase a damn great boat and moor it in Amalfi, and that's going to make me happy. I've always denied when they say money can't buy you happiness. I, I, I think that's wrong. Ask any poor person if I pay off your mortgage, are you going to be happy? But what they can't buy is time, and what they can't buy is convenience. So if you can save them time on anything. Now, I said to you, buy this house because I noticed that you've got a dog and you mentioned to me that you like going for walks on your dog. And did you know, funny enough, this area has the top trails that are dog friendly in this area? You've just saved me time. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. It is an absolute honor to have Steve D. Sims on the podcast today, the man who was called by Forbes as the Wizard of Oz. And the man who knows Elton John and Elon Musk and so, so many other billionaires that we can name drop, but is here with us today just to share a different perspective on becoming from an introverted state to a state of influence. And he's got some bones to pick with us today. And we're going to start with that. I mean, normally we start with the craziest experience. But today, Steve, drop the hammer, drop some bones on our audience about introversion and some other things. Get us kicked off. Well, it got me kicked off. I actually, I wasn't going to do anything about this. And then I suddenly started seeing so many people out there, snakes, snake oil salesmen, talking about, oh, how to get paid on stage and how you can get your first speaking gig in 30 days. And, oh, you can do this and get out of being an introvert. And these were by people that were calling being an introvert a problem. It's not. It could be a superpower. And they were teaching you on how to speak on stage and get paid while never actually of being paid to speak on stage. And all of this kind of shit bothered me. And I thought, I have to do something about it. So for that reason, I came out and I'm starting to do a webinar on how to reframe your introvert, use it as your super cape, your superpower, and then teach you the power of communication. Because simply put, those that have your attention have your business. So let's talk about your development, right? Because like one of the things I talk about a lot is like relationships are everything. And people will say, yeah, that's true. But the reality is, I mean, you've done it on such a scale that I can only dream of, right? You're Elon Musk, et cetera. So who did you need to become or what skills did you need to learn to start accessing those, those crowds? Um, I had to be a five-year-old. That's, that's the bottom line of it is, you know, many of us have got kids um, and your kids don't have any fear. They're not worried about that confidence. They're curious. They're inquisitive. And then as we get older, we lose that. And we learn things like know your age, act your age, stick to your lane, grow up, and all of that bullshit. I became an aggravated five-year-old with curiosity. I'm working on a building site. I'm getting rained on every single day. And I'm looking at people driving by me in nice cars, going to work in air-conditioned offices, wearing a nice suit and talking to girls. And I'm like, why are they doing that and not me? So I became aggravated enough to start asking people. So that curiosity was there, but then the aggravation to actually do something about it. And this is where I realized my first problem. I didn't know how to talk to people. And that was, that was it because I was, and I am very much of an introverted person. Um, I, 
I do a good job of being an extrovert, if you want to call it that. But I think I, I move with purpose. Is there a purpose for me to be on stage? Is there a purpose for me to coach people? Is there a purpose for me to be on this podcast? The good thing about introverts is we question what we're going to do before we do it. Nine times out of ten, that little fear comes in that scares us out of actually doing it. But the beauty of an introvert is we quantify and qualify what it is we do. Now, with me, when I was aggravated and I would ask this question, I was introverted, but I was so angry, I wanted to know the answer so I didn't have to be getting wet, getting cut up by the bricks and being poor. But I did know that I wasn't asking good questions. And in the, in the words of old Jay Abraham there, if you want a great answer, ask a great question. So mm. I very early on realized, hang on a minute, I need to learn how to speak. I need to learn how to communicate. If I know, and this is back in like the late 80s, if I know how to talk to an individual, then that's going to help me. Now, here's something that really did well for me. Everyone in the planet got shit at it. And that's a fact, you know, since, since 2000, we spend more time communicating on a phone via text than we do. How many times have you picked this thing up today and actually phoned somebody? You know, there'll be days where no one uses a phone for a phone. We text, we SMS, we WhatsApp, we do all of those kind of things. So as the world's got worse at it, I actually look brilliant <laughs> because I've carried on polishing my skills on how to communicate. I now know how to engage someone to get the answer I want. I now know how to get your attention, keep your attention. And then be able to make sure I get the answer that I'm looking for when I'm asking the question. How much of the attention game and getting the answer is tonality? Like you have just tremendous tonality up and down and pausing. And how much of it is the content of what you're saying? And then how much of it's the questions you're asking? This is scientific. There is a professor and you can actually Google it. If you, look, if you look up on YouTube, I did a video called 738.55. Now, Chris Voss made it uh, very well known as well. But there was a professor that actually came up with the 738.55 rule. And this is going to spook you, okay? 55% of all communication is based on body language. When I'm talking to you and I'm leaning in and my hands are going, my eyes are sparkling, 55% of your acknowledgement of me is based on my movement. Now, if I stand here and I'm talking to you like this and I'm just having a conversation, you're gone, you're done. But if I can engage you with movement and passion and eyes and smile and, and just getting into it, 55% of your subconscious as to whether or not you're going to listen to me is based on how I'm delivering. Now, 38% of your uh, receptiveness to me is based on my tonality. And you called it out. Oh, you're so excited. When I come off of this podcast, I'm going to lay down, you know, but the bottom line of it is when I'm conversing with someone, I know about this 738.55. I'm going to get in front of you. I'm going to give you the upbeat. I'm going to change the tempo. Now, if you look at, if you ever watch a cat and you kind of like get the old light wand and you move the light wand around and the cat's doing this, isn't it? And if you watch videos nowadays, 
they cut to different sides, don't they? There's always oh. these little quick movements to keep your attention. That's the same with tonality. If you're very monotone when you're delivering a speech, no one's going to pay any attention to you. But if you vary it and you chop it, change it, bring it in, people are going to be engaged with you. So that's the other bit, 738.55, which means only 7% of the conversation is based on my co- based on my content. Now, if you really want to see an exercise of how brilliant this is actually explained and exposed, watch narcissists and watch dictators. The best speakers in the planet are one of the world's greatest speakers, Hitler. The way he delivers, the power that he gets in, the tremendous tonality. He had an entire country behind him based on his delivery. His delivery of a speech. You don't even, you don't even have to know German. You watch that guy and you can't help but going... Oh, I'm getting motivated here because he knew how to deliver. And today, our head's down in a phone 99% of the time. We've lost the ability to lock eyeballs and deliver. So if you understand the 738.55, it is a scientific law. It is how the other person bases their ability to receive you based on that 738.55. So the process, I mean, because you're talking about wanting to help introverts have influence. So you're probably, I mean, introverts, when I think of it in the traditional sense, these are the people that are quiet and reserved and their voices are quiet and timid and nervous. And you're going to transform them into people that are as, you know, boisterous as you are. So what's, what's that process like? I noticed like really right on in the book very early on in the book, Go For Stupid, you, you mentioned that successful people have a superpower of being willing to be laughed at. And so talk to me, is that, is that the methodology? How do you get introverts to, to break out of their shell? So you just took the classic stereotype of an introvert right at grade one. Perfect. Now, a grade 10 introvert, maybe he's me, someone that can play other roles, excuse me, very well. Those timid person, I don't want them to make them as wild as me. Now, if you look at someone like Simon Sinek, is he a good deliverer? Is he a good speaker? Is he an over-the-top extrovert? Is he a Barnum and Bailey circus master? No. Another person that's very quiet but knows how to deliver, Steve Jobs, you know, was another gentleman. So I'm not saying, hey, I'm going to take you from a quiet, timid person and make you louder than, than Grant Cardone. I'm saying we're going to use you and amplify you by using these techniques. If you just look at the way you communicate, and if you just follow that 738.55, you can still be a quiet person, but still move the tonality and directness of when you actually speak. You haven't got to be loud. Now, I'm on a podcast. My job Stepping onto this podcast is to engage the audience, keep the audience, keep them on their toes, keep their attention in their ears, and give them some information that wants them to keep coming back. That's my job. Now, if I'm having a drink with you tonight, we're going to tell a couple of dirty jokes and we're going to have a little bit of a laugh and we're going to be quiet in the corner. But the whole point is, what do you use when you need to use it? So when I'm working with people, I'm saying wherever you are. Now, this may be extroverts. 
that are actually looking to move with more purpose. So they actually start moving into the analytical composite of what an introvert is. And I'm looking at those introverts going, hey, hang on a minute. I'm going to help you amplify you. You don't have to become this person. You need to just be a better and more understandable version of you. And so all of that, whether you on any scale whatsoever, today the one thing that terrifies us all, which is ridiculous when you say it, is the fear of people laughing at us. In today's world, we're not actually frightened of trying something. We're frightened of someone seeing it and laughing at us. Now, they always used to say, what would you do today if you knew you couldn't fail? Well, let me change that. What would you do today if you had no fear of someone laughing at you? What would you try then? So that's the thing. I am saying, be willing to be you. Don't apologize. Be more of you. If you appeal to a certain minority of people, go for it. Because that's your sandpit. Those are your people. That's your crowd. I don't appeal to everyone. There are probably people now listening to this podcast going, I can't understand what he's saying. Why the bloody hell is he on this show, Matt? I don't ever want this kind of character here again. And then there's other people going, I get this guy. I want to follow this guy. I want to be part of that growth. I want to change the way I am. But there is no one on this podcast confused. There is no one on the fence going, I don't know what he's trying to say. He's probably going to try and sell me something in a minute. Oh, I'm a bit suspicious. No, I am clearly defined as to who I am, what I am, and what I stand for. And if you want to play in my sandpit, welcome. If you don't, hey, no problem. We'll be fine. But that's the thing today. Don't worry about people laughing at you, but do focus on you being who you are. And you say about the real estate industry, this is a world rife with shields and with stereotypes and covers. We all know the cloud. And I've spoken to probably every major mortgage group in the planet. And everywhere you go, you've got the, 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 the lady that's got her face on the, on the, the bus bench that she took 40 years ago when she was still deciding as to whether or not being real estate or soft porn. And that's her picture. <laughs> and then you do see her and she's 95 years old. <laughs> And the first thing you think is, you lied to me. Now, here's the thing. I had, true story, I bought a house here just outside of Malibu, and I saw this woman on this park bench, and I saw this woman on a sign, and I made an inquiry about her, about the house listing she had. Now, understand, I'm there with my three kids and my wife of like, oh, what is it, 35 years now or something, 32 years, um, well, basically since birth. I'm there with my family. I don't want to date you. This isn't a Tinder advert. I want to buy a bloody house. But the second she turned up and got out of her car, I'm thinking, hmm, that's not the woman I saw on the sign. If you're going to lie to me about what you look like, what else are you going to lie to me about? And that's what was going on in my head. And sadly, the real estate market is still heavily based in that. People not being clear on who they are and communicating that clarity. So your sand pit is some people that are on grade one to grade 10 of the introvert scale that want to exert influence. Someone raises their hand and says, Steve, I want, you to, I want you to work with me. What is the first step? What's the process to, to working with them? What's your value? That, that, that's the question I always ask. What is your value? Now, bearing in mind, 
I was an introvert that while I was trying to find out how other people were wealthy, I ended up communicating with those wealthy people, looking after those wealthy people, and ended up having some of the most wealthy people as clients in the planet, and then looking around and realizing that shit's not hard, but you've just decided to ignore it. So whenever I work with anyone, I go, right, okay, Matt, what is your value? What is your asset? What can you do for me that I can't do for myself? Or better still, what can you do for me better than I can do for myself? See, a lot of people come up and they go, oh, I want them to endorse me. Oh, I want them to like me. Oh, I want to be their friend. Oh, I want to be in their sandpit. Well, if you turn up and you go, hey, I want to be of value. I want to be your asset. I can help you with this. They don't care what you look like. You're now a value proposition. So whenever I'm working with anyone, I go, I don't care what your hair looks like. I don't care about your waistline. I care about, are you a value in my sandpit? Are you an asset to me? Now that asset may be you challenge me with business advice. That asset may be you know the real estate market better than I do. Now, again, you haven't got to know it better than everyone. You've just got to know it better than me, you know, to become an asset. You may know things and can look after me in ways I never thought. You may just be really good at telling jokes and constantly make me smile. You've got to focus on what value are you and lead with that. Let me, let me play a little game with you, Matt. Saturday night, I'm having a barbecue. I live in Los Angeles. I invite you over to my barbecue and I say, Matt, come to my barbecue. What's the first question you ask me? Uh, what you, what you grilling? Watch it. Good. If you don't know what I'm eating, it may offend you. You may be a vegan. So I turn around. I've got, I've got T-bones. I've got sausages and I've got burgers. What's your second question? Uh, what should I bring? Fantastic. So the first question was selfish, looked after you. The second one looked after me. Wrong order, my buddy. For the sure. First que- now, here's the daft thing. For the ladies out there screaming at you now for being a Neanderthal, Ladies always get it right. Whenever I do this on stage, I never pick on a lady because the ladies are always (laughs) like, what can I bring? Because they're more considerate than us. But the guys are always things like, well, who's going to be there? What can I wear? Can I take photographs? Can I bring a friend? What are you cooking? You know, what drinks have you got coming? And then usually when they start running out of questions, they go, oh, what can I bring? The point is every relationship that you want to get into Treat like a barbecue. What can I bring to this person's party? Absolutely love this. So the first thing that you're doing when you're coaching someone is looking for the value that they have so that they can immediately begin bringing that value to a barbecue. Yes. So take us into what's phase two. I mean, and and phase one might be hard enough for some people just going, well, I could do this and this, but, but take us into phase two. You're usually good at like two or three things. These people that go, well, I'm really good at 15 different things. No, you can probably do 15 things, but you're really good at three of them. So you've got to identify what your unicorn is. You know, what is your true value proposition? And then when you've got that, the next step is how can you communicate it? Now, as I grew, I ended up looking after people because I thought if I look after you and get you to meet Elton John, the Pope, Elon Musk, if I get you to meet this person, I've got your attention. Now I can start asking you about your business, which is what I really wanted. So I came in with an asset, i.e. my connections, in order to be able to get the information out of you that I wanted. So in order to do that, for when I would meet someone, 
I've got to be able to expose my value very, very quickly. So I would make sure that I would walk up to a billionaire and they would go, oh, so what do you do? And I would turn around and say, I can make your your next cocktail story more interesting. And they'd be like, what do you mean by that? Well, by using your checkbook, I can make you more interesting and fulfill a dream that you didn't think was possible. And I would just drop these kind of one-liners, and that's what I would do. Now I do it within the communication world, and I say that, as Forbes called me the real-life Wizard of Oz, I can leverage your relationship by teaching you how to communicate better. So these, these are like well-rehearsed one-liners. And I teach the people that I coach how to focus on those one-liners. And here's the daft thing. Not for the conversations that they're going to have externally, but for the conversations they're going to have internally. Hmm. And what I mean by that is we know today the art of communication is dying. We know that we went through a period of COVID where we couldn't communicate for so long that there was something called a there was something called a social hangover. We came out of COVID. We went down. We started talking to people. The following day, we were actually tired because we hadn't used that muscle. And for a lot of people, they haven't actually got it back. They got used to Zoom calls. They got used to actually just you know texts and SMS. I've had people saying, "Don't call me. Just text me." You know, you can't get that tonality. You can't get that body language in a text. I could say to you, hey, Matt, let's have a beer tomorrow night at eight o'clock. Eight o'clock, your area, be there. Do not be late. And you would go, well, I like that. That sounds excited. Steve's excited. I'm coming along. But if that was written in a text, you may see this as too dictatorial. You may turn around and go, why, why should I meet him? Why is he ordering me to meet him? You could misread it. Because you've got none of the delivery to go into it. So SMS, email is a terrible way to communicate. But a lot of people rely on it. So what I'm here to do is to say, look, we know we're bad at it. So let's get you first understanding what is your value and start having those conversations into inside. I literally tell people, get a camera and rehearse introductions. Hey, how you doing? My name is Matt. Probably one of the best podcasts out there that you've never heard of. These little slick one-liners are things that you practice and you practice and practice and practice and practice so that when you get into an environment, that little doubt that's on your shoulder can't get to you fast enough because you can turn and go, hey, I'm Matt, head of a podcast, probably one of the best podcasts on the planet that you've never heard of. What do you do? Yeah, that's, that's a slick hook, isn't it? Totally. But, but you've got to start doing that. So I get people to practice, 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 delivering their unicorn, delivering their value proposition to not answer the question, but to ignite one. So if I come to you and I say, hey, Matt, I can make your next cocktail story more interesting. You're not going to go, great, good for you. You're going to go, how the hell do you do that? Well, let me tell you what I did with Elton John. You know, it, it starts, and that's where a lot of people get things wrong. They think that they've got to do, they've got to say something which answers the question. No, we've got to ignite another one to come to us. Yeah, don't answer the question, ignite another one. So your process from going from, we'll call it ordinary Steve Sims to extraordinary, the guy who's meeting all these people, 
was really just a process of transforming your own mind about who you are through one-liners. Is that fair to say? Yeah, very. Um, I learned everything I know about communication by doing everything wrong. Um, when I left school, uh, I left school at the age of 15. I basically sprouted and I was like 240 pound of ugly, very, very young. So I was like fully grown. Um, and so with me kind of wanting all of these answers, I would come up to you and I'd be like, hey, 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 Matt, how, how come you're successful at this? And you'd be shit scared or intimidated or aggravated or annoyed because I wasn't delivering it properly. And I could read in you that you were kind of like, whoa, what does this guy want? And at the time, what would I do to respond to that? I would lean in even more, which would make you pull back even faster. I was terrible. When I first started trying to get the answers I needed, I was so bad at it, repelled so many people that I learned from it. I'm, I'm, I'm not getting the answers I want. Therefore, my delivery must be bad because that person can answer my question. So if they can, but not, where's the weak link? It's me. So I learned how to communicate by, by delivering bad communication. Love this. Obviously, communication is the vehicle that opens up the connections, it opens up the opportunities. But going back to the barbecue scenario, what was your gift from the beginning, the value proposition? Or has the value proposition always been the communication? Delivery's always been the communication. Whether or not you're selling a widget, hosting a Monday morning sales meeting, selling a house, selling a, a $10,000 a month coaching course. Communication's always the delivery. If you've got no value, then you're just delivering wind. Okay, so I think for me, my secret sauce was I realized very, on, very early on that you should never look at the reaction, you should look at the action. And mm. what I mean by that is that, and I've always said, and for 25 years, if anyone out there doesn't know me, for 25 years, I ran the, the largest experiential concierge firm for billionaires in the world. And it was very famous. Um, and I always said, I was not in the business you think I was in. Now, you think I was in the business of getting you a drum lesson with Guns N' Roses or getting you serenaded by Andrea Bocelli or getting you front row tickets to the Milan Fashion Week or in the Oscar parties. That was the business you think I was in. The business I was really in was to get my clients to do those things so I could have a two-hour lunch, dinner, breakfast with some of the most powerful people in the world who quite simply do what you're doing interview them. See, if I could interview the head of a Swiss bank on how they look at investments, if I could speak to a, a, a famous inventor at how he actually creates things, if I could speak to Elon Musk on how he actually develops things, which he is ill qualified to do, if I could speak to Elton John about how he sees music, that's the information I was looking for. So my unicorn was to get you what you want, so I could get what I want. I would bring something to the party so I could get what I want. Now, imagine this. You know, have you ever, have you ever bought a diet book? Did you yeah. ever lose weight from the purchase of that diet book or by action in it? Action, of course. But the amount of people think that the actual, uh, uh, the purchase, the, the, that is going to do it. No. 
Everyone wants a big bank account. So what do they do? They watch their bank account. Your bank account going up or down is a reaction to your action. Bad actions make it go down. Good actions make it go up. But you staring at it ain't going to do shit. (laughs) So I learned very early on that I was focusing on the reactions. I should be looking at the actions. If I focused on the actions, then everything else looks after itself. So very early on, I realized that I would get you this. So I got that. And that's what I would always do. There's still a lot of skill involved in the concierge service because you still have to be able to get a response from this high-level celebrity and be able to coordinate them. What was even the process of getting the ability to be the concierge? So I I don't know how many times I got told to piss off. Um, Probably millions, but I I didn't kind of hear them. Um, (laughs) I realized very early on that if I want something, I've got to bring something of more value. Yeah, do you have kids? Four. You have four kids. Uh, you married? Yes. All right. So if I say to you, hey, um, can I borrow your car tonight? There's two answers I can get, yes or no. Okay? If you know me and you want me in your sandpit, then it's going to lean more towards the yes. If I've literally just walked up to you in your driveway and gone, hey, mister, can I borrow your car? Then it's a no. But if it's a case of, hey, mister, can I borrow your car? Because I noticed you got four kids and I saw how they were dressed and there's a sale on just down the road and I want to buy them a gift because I love the family man you are. I'm doing something for your family. Now, for you to get that done for your family, all you got to do is lend me the car. So when I would go along and get things, if I went along to a celebrity and I said, hey, how much is it going to cost me for you to serenade my clients backstage? Now, you're talking to Taylor Swift, Elton John. They literally are making millions of dollars for every couple of minutes they're on stage. What can you possibly give them monetarily that's going to be of any interest? People react to money that don't have any. People that want to have conversations about money are poor people. Affluent people, they focus on impact. Now, if I was to turn around to that, that artist and go, hey, my, my client is doing this and he wants to bring his daughter along and he wants to show her the power of working hard in order to be able to make these connections. I just wanted to arrange a scenario where he could have a, a father-son, father-daughter bonding moment by walking backstage and meeting the idol. I'm painting a picture. I'm painting a a memory. I'm painting a dream that I want you to be part of. Now, I know I'm going to have to make a payment. No one buys a car and then gets pissed off because they got to buy gas. They know it. So I know there's going to be a payment, but I'm getting them involved in a memory. By you meeting these two people, you are going to cement a memory in that father and son or father and daughter. Do you want to be part of that moment? You know, that's what you're doing. So I learned very early on in a communicative state, speak to people in the language they understand. If I want to get someone with no money to do something for me, I speak to them in dollars. If I want to get someone in middle management, I speak to them in power and respect. Can you imagine the authority that you're going to gain if we get to do this? But if someone's got a lot of money and a lot of power, get them involved in an impact.
Wow. This is tremendous. And let's talk about you now have the meeting with Taylor Swift. You have the meeting with Elton John. You've arranged this. You've brokered the deal. What do you do now to solidify the, uh, the relationship and have the opportunity to keep playing that game with them? So the first thing that I do is I've never given a client what they asked me for. The client that I would get backstage to Taylor Swift, I promised two exceptional tickets. I didn't promise a backstage. So when they get there and they go, oh, by the way, we got you there. Oh, Johnny pulled something a little bit special for you. And all of a sudden they're taking it. They're like, oh my God. If you say to me, hey, Steve, I need a pink cake and I make you a pink cake and I give you the pink cake. It doesn't matter how good the pink cake is. I have now just completed a transaction. And what does transactions? Amazon. And if you can be algorithmed, if you can be automated, then you're out of business. What you've got to do is you've got to provide above and beyond what your client and customer is asking for. Now, just say for argument's sake, and I've noticed a lot of people doing it because, hey, I teach and train in this industry. But a lot of realtors are no longer selling the houses. They're selling the community. They're selling the schools. They're selling the fact that there's a new Whole Food just opening up or a brand new gym or that this community has some of the top restaurants or top security or top walking locations with you and your dog. They're realizing what's more than that bricks and mortar. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to over deliver so you can't be quantified. You can't be labeled as you're just another pink, pink cake. The second they focus on that, they start focusing on the price tag. And if someone ever, ever, ever is having a conversation with you over the price tag of anything, it's because you failed to establish the value. And it's your fault. Love this. So what, as you start working with people in the sandbox, what are the things that they struggle with right away that, that you can help overcome? So I actually, I, I focus, there's a lot of um, issues that we've got, which are self-built, self-perpetuate. I don't look good enough. Like how many of the ladies that know that they should be doing videos on social? Cause let's be serious. Videos are more powerful than just text. Um, you know you've got to do a video, but you're scared about this dimple or your hair or, you know, you've added a few pounds or the camera's adding a few pounds. No one cares about you. All the time you care about you, no one cares about you. All the time you care about what you can offer and provide and benefit, then they care about you. So a lot of the reasons that you're not getting the clients you deserve and the respect, authority, distribution um, out there, 90% of the problems are you. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to deconstruct you. We've got to understand what your value is. We've got to understand what your value ladder is, where you can take someone from there to there. Then we've got to work out how you actually expose and translate that. We've got to get your communication skill into brevity. Have you noticed that people seem really confident when they say really short sentences? Anything you can say that's short delivers power. So if you're nervous, start speaking less. If you're concerned that you're not getting the message across, practice saying that message shorter. So I work with the people on that delivery, 
their uniqueness, their value proposition and their value ladder, ladder, the deliverability of it. And then once that's all polished, how do they infiltrate those circles? How do they get into other people's sandpits to be able to expose the new and improved 2.0 version of them? So you talk about value, value ladders, and you talk about like, if you want to play with some of the biggest people, you have to shift to an impact mindset. Yeah. So give me, give me some examples. And obviously you've given me some in the sense that you, you bring people to the backstage. What, what are maybe some other examples that say maybe a, a real estate agent or business consultant can do uh, to provide that value, to provide that impact for a celebrity? Okay. It's okay. So you picked on celebrity. Okay. Your last statement there was celebrity. Okay. What is the one thing a celebrity can't purchase? The one thing is, uh, well, they can't purchase maybe happiness or they can't purchase. I'll let you answer the question. Well, you say you can't purchase happiness. If you've got more money than God, you can purchase a damn great boat and more in Amalfi. And that's going to make me happy. Okay. So, I've always denied when they say money can't buy you happiness. I, I, I think that's wrong. Ask any poor person. If I pay <laughs> off your mortgage, are you going to be happy? Um, but what they can't buy is time. Hmm. And what they can't buy is convenience. So if you can save them time on anything. Now, I said to you, buy this house because I noticed that you've got a dog. And you mentioned to me that you like going for walks on your dog. And did you know, funny enough, this area has the top trails that are dog friendly in this area. You've just saved me time. You know, as a celebrity, you need security, but you need to feel that you're in a community. This community is actually 80% celebrity. So you will be a normal person in this area. Don't, that, don't you want to be that? One of the things that I know that when I've dealt with very powerful people is their inability to just be able to wander down the road and grab a coffee. Okay. Elton John has often said he can't wander down the road and just grab a coffee. So the point is you want to create an environment which they are normal people. Time is of respect. They have these other things understood. You've listened, you've heard, and you've provided the lifestyle, especially in the real estate world, the lifestyle that's going to suit them and their family. Now, do you remember when I asked you about borrowing the car? Who did I focus the dream on? Was it you or was it your family? The family. Yeah, because what's more important to you than your family? Nothing. No, absolutely nothing. I make your child smile. I've got you forever. So that's the key. You've got to look at what's important to that person and then actually looking at actually embellishing the benefit they get from that. And they cannot buy time. So you've got to focus. What can you deliver that's going to save them that? That they go, oh, that person's just saved me five hours. I now have these answers. Because you can't get that time back. Love this. So, Steve, tell us about, you've got a challenge coming up. The introvert to influence challenge. So t tell me about that. How can people get a so access? It's easy to get to. You go to stevedsims.com forward slash challenge. So it's very easy to find and it's free. This is what's going to help you. And what I do is I want you to address at what level you are of an introvert. 
and showing you through these three days, it starts at 10 a.m. in the morning for like an hour and a half each day, 28th, 29th, and 30th. We're going to walk through how to actually reframe any element of shyness, doubt, introvert you've got into your superpower by reframing it. And I've got some pretty fantastic celebrity guests coming on each day. And then we're also going to look at how you show up in a digital world to emphasize how people can relate and understand you. You spoke to me earlier on. You said, oh, I've been doing some digging on you, and I found this, and I found this. Why do you think you found it? You found it because I put it there. I narrate my story. I'm in control of what you are going to see, okay? And if something's there that I don't particularly like, then I'm going to try to find a way of either pushing it away or making it hard for you to find, okay? These are all controllable elements that allow people to be able to see you, hear you, find you, and understand that you are the same person absolutely everywhere. I want to create an environment where you are impossible to misunderstand. Now, once we've got to that, then we're going to be focusing on communication skills, how to see the value ladder, how to see and expose how you're a unicorn and how to provide that unicorn for someone else's benefit. And if you want to take it as far as you want, I'm actually going to teach you how to get paid to speak on stage. My fee is 25 to 35 grand, and I speak all over the planet. I'm in London, San Diego, Venice, Florence, and London just in the next eight weeks. Okay. And it's pretty cool being paid to fly around the planet and speak to people and create impact. But every speech that I give, I come off and I hide for two to three days because I don't like all of the noise. I don't like hanging around with too many people. It bothers me. I love having a conversation. Me and you here having a conversation. I'd love to be doing that at a bar with an old fashioned, but stick me in a room, a crowded room with a thousand people yelling at me and wanting that fun. It does actually start to freak me out. So I have to do it because, hey, it's good for my business. And then I run away and hide. But I'm going to teach you how you can actually understand you better to react to you better and to be able to move with purpose, even as far as being able to speak up on stage. Steve D. Sims. Thank you so much, guys. Check out his challenge at Steve D. Sims forward slash challenge. Uh, get in there. I will be in there as well, enjoying the, the content. So I can't appreciate you enough, not only for the challenge, but for hopping on with us and doing this. Guys, write down something that you learned from this, whether it's even how we define introvert. It's, it's the value ladders. It's how you lead conversations. Share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you'll be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.